It's Friday, September 17th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Throughout the pandemic, we have looked to three numbers to track how bad things were getting. Case counts, hospitalizations, and deaths. Hospitalizations in particular have been a key figure in assessing the severity of the illness. But a new study suggests that almost half of those hospitalized have mild or asymptomatic symptoms. While some patients are admitted for serious illness, some are there unrelated to COVID and later test positive, but they're all counted toward the overall hospital numbers. David Zweig, contributor to The Atlantic, joins us for a closer look into COVID hospitalizations. Next, about 60 miles north of Los Angeles, Lockheed Martin has a super-secret aircraft and weapons facility called Skunk Works. The U-2 spy plane and F-117 Nighthawk were both developed there, and Lockheed is currently jockeying for a role in the Air Force's next fighter jet program. Skunk Works has just opened a new, state-of-the-art factory and invited journalists to tour it, albeit in a very secretive manner with much of the travel around the campus through underground tunnels. Lee Hudson, defense reporter at Politico, joins us for a peek inside this very secretive facility. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. And what they found was that nearly half of all admissions that are coded as a um, that are a COVID hospital admission were actually for mild or even asymptomatic cases. Joining us now is David Zweig, contributor to The Atlantic and New York Magazine. Thanks for joining us, David. Thanks for having me. For the longest time throughout the pandemic, we've been using a, a few different numbers, a set of metrics to kind of see how bad the pandemic has been going. We've been looking at case counts. We've been looking at hospitalization numbers. We've been looking at deaths. And hospitalization number, that one in particular, had kind of been the most uh, accurate marker, you know, at least we thought of how bad the pandemic was doing, you know, accounting for how how many people were sick with serious illness. Also important to look at hospitalizations because that's what's impacting the healthcare system the most. You know, we're hearing stories about rationing now and all that. Uh, and, uh, you know, ICU beds, uh, limited capacity on those. But, David, you were looking into a series of studies that we've seen recently, how that hospitalization number might be losing a little bit of the uh, of its meaning. A lot of people going to the hospital are having more milder or asymptomatic symptoms. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, you're exactly right. For much of the pandemic, we look at deaths as one measure of what's happening. And of course, deaths are accurate as far as there's a finality to them. However, they are a lagging indicator. And of course, they also don't account for people who um, were severely sick and and recovered. That's still something we want to measure. Conversely, cases... um, you know, are very dependent upon who is tested, when they're tested, what, you know, what types of people, is it really an accurate sample or not? So that that's also not a great measure. So hospitals ostensibly have been a really good measure for where we are in in either as a country or in an individual, you know, region, as far as what the degree of of problem is with, with with the pandemic. But what I found, there's a new study that just came out, and I should mention it is in preprint, which means it hasn't been peer-reviewed yet. However, the study had was of a really, really large sample size. It was done in the VA, the Veterans Administration, and it was nearly 50,000 hospital admissions in the VA. And what they found was that nearly half of all admissions that are coded as a, um, that are a COVID hospital admission were actually for mild or even asymptomatic cases. 
And um, your listeners may be wondering, um, well, how is that possible? Why would people be in the hospital right, if they exactly. you know, were asymptomatic? So um, not to leave too much of a cliffhanger for you there. So, <laughs> And the answer is that there are a lot of people who go to the hospital for any number of things for in a normal time, whether maybe there's trauma from a car accident, you could break your ankle, you have appendicitis, whatever. Um, but most hospitals in the country test every single person who is admitted for COVID. It's a policy. So any, so you could arrive at the hospital for something else, then you get tested and then it turns out that you have COVID. So what the researchers found was that a significant portion of the COVID hospitalizations were for people like that, or secondarily for people who did arrive with COVID symptoms, but they were mild and they decided to admit these people anyway, because maybe it was someone who had some underlying conditions and they just wanted to play it safe or the patient complained of, um, you know, subjectively feeling short of breath, for example. But then those people never progressed into a serious illness. And that's totally interesting, you know, and you don't really think of it when you're hearing coverage of, you know, hospitalizations and how the numbers are up and and all that. You just kind of assume that, oh, wow, if you're in the hospital, those people must be really sick. But you're right. You know, there's a range of treatments, a range of issues of why people might be there, you know, on the on the severe side. You know, you got to be intubated or something. You might need supplemental oxygen. It could be as simple as getting that steroid that everybody uh, you know, has been proven to help out the dexamethasone. So there's a range. And, and when we're hearing a lot about coverage, we're not really hearing the differentiation between how severe it could be. That's right. And, and you know, what I would urge your listeners to think through is that so the next time you hear about COVID hospitalization numbers, be aware that according to this study, and by the way, I should mention, I also wrote an article for New York Magazine a few months back, uh, two separate studies, which were peer-reviewed, and they were published by a journal put out by the American Academy of Pediatrics, and they, their findings echoed the findings in this study, and the pediatric population was 40 to 45 percent of those hospitalizations were also found to be incidental. Again, meaning someone arrives at the hospital for something totally unrelated to COVID, then they are tested for COVID, and then they get, you know, a box gets checked off. That's a COVID hospitalization. So this isn't to minimize and say that there aren't people who are very sick with COVID. That's real. It's a real thing, and it's happening. But the numbers that we hear are not necessarily what many people would think that they are. And that's always been one of those difficulties throughout the pandemic is, you know, how bad really is it? A lot of it is very individualized that if the COVID-19 affects everybody so differently and we have this wide spectrum of it. So it's always that curiosity. Well, how bad is it? And we hear, you know, headlines. There's one from uh, NBC News. More kids are hospitalized with COVID, but researchers aren't sure if they're sicker, too. We're seeing things, you know, related to the hospital resources that we have. Idaho declared a statewide hospital resource crisis amid the latest surge. They're having to ration care right now and turn people away. And, and I read through one of these recent articles, nowhere does it really say how many people that are admitted are really that bad. And I'm sure I'm sure there are some because that's what we've been seeing. But yeah, that kind of gets lost in there. You know, how bad are some of these COVID patients? I think a really important point that people, you know, need to understand is right, is is how these things are measured and what these different things we hear mean. 
So it's not that they are doing this, you know, trying to trick people. The reason that everyone is coded as as a covid hospitalization simply because they test positive is because that's how hospitals need to treat those patients differently, perhaps isolate them in different ways. And similarly, the government uses this to track the spread of the disease. But the thing that most people interpret hospitalizations to mean, including the media, um, you know, um, sort of give the impression is that it's not just about the spread of the disease, but hospitalizations as an indicator of severity. And that's what this um, particular study and also those studies that I mentioned on the pediatric admissions. That's what's so important about this is that hospitalizations can be used as a measure of the spread of the disease, but they shouldn't necessarily be used as a measure of severity of the disease. Because again, they're finding that half of them, it's incidental. One really interesting point that a study found was that prior to January of this year, the number was roughly one third of the patients were incidental or mild course of illness. And then that number bumped up to a half after vaccines became readily available. And in fact, they found that people who are vaccinated had an even higher, something like 57% um, were in this mild or incidental category. So this is really um, strong evidence that the vaccines are helping, that even if, if you are vaccinated, even if you show up at the hospital, your chances of your course of illness being mild um, are much higher. And that's one of the messages that, uh, you know, public health experts have been trying to get across so much is that, yeah, the vaccines do help reduce the risk of having severe illness. Now, to be fair, there a lot of this study was done before the Delta variant became a little more widespread. I still feel it probably tracks the same way, but because, you know, all reports say that the vaccines do protect against Delta as well. But a lot of these numbers do come before that rise really took hold. You're right. However, the study did run through the very end of June, and the researchers specifically looked at this point, and they mentioned that toward the end of June, when Delta you know, was starting to take hold, they did not notice any difference in, in the sort of trajectory of these metrics. So um, that is good news as far as there's no indication that, that anything would change with Delta. We know that Delta is more contagious. But there doesn't appear to be any evidence that it is more virulent, meaning that it's more dangerous to any individual person should they become infected. Well, I hope that we start to look into a little bit more of these numbers and track these types of numbers and how severe that is. Because, as you mentioned, you know, just to get a clearer picture of how severe this thing really is going forward. David Zweig, contributor to The Atlantic and New York Magazine. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Their campus in Palmdale is over 539 acres, and I saw a very small sliver of that. They brought a group of reporters to see their new factory. They're calling it the factory of the future. Joining us now is Lee Hudson, defense reporter at Politico. Thanks for joining us, Lee. Hi, thanks for having me. In Palmdale, California, about 60 miles north of Los Angeles, Lockheed Martin has a very secretive facility there where they work on, uh, you know, state-of-the-art planes and and, uh, other weapons and things like that. It's called Skunk Works. It's got an interesting way they got their name and all. But they just opened up 
this to reporters and, and other people to come and tour one of the new facilities that they just built there. Uh, as I mentioned, they do a lot of cool stuff. They worked on uh, the um, secret uh, U-2 spy plane, all this cool stuff that comes out of Lockheed Martin. So, Lee, you got a chance to tour this facility and see what's going on there. They didn't really show you too many secret stuff. All of the stuff that you got to see was unclassified. But tell us about what happened there. Yeah, it was a really cool opportunity. It's huge. Their campus in Palmdale is over 539 acres, and I saw a very small sliver of that. They brought a group of reporters to see their new factory. They're calling it the factory of the future. What they wanted to showcase was that they're using new methods for them to produce aircraft and other types of weapons. Um, But it's very similar to the way that the automotive industry is um, building automobiles, and they've been doing it for a long time. Um, It's just newer for the defense world. So uh, you mentioned in the article, you know, there was two reasons really why they were opening this up to reporters. And, And one was for their new factory, the opening, grand opening of their new factory. But the other thing was to drum up support for more Pentagon business. Uh, obviously, Lockheed Martin is is in that business and they want that funding. So one of the things that they're trying to get into is the next fighter jet program. And that's going to be called the next generation air dominance. What are they vying for trying to do that? Yeah, absolutely. So there's been mixed messages coming out of the Pentagon. Um, it sounds like the Air Force want something that could be um, possibly unmanned for that. Uh, And then the Navy is also working on its own next generation fighter program. Uh, And it sounds like they want a manned platform. But the reason Lockheed Martin is concerned is because with the new Biden administration, they're looking to cut the budget, reduce the budget. Um, And so they were just trying to highlight, hey, these new technologies, it is important to fund them to keep us up to date uh, against potential adversaries like China or Russia. So tell us some of the cool stuff that you got to see there, because you mentioned the article too, how secretive everything is on that campus, obviously. The travel, a lot of it is done in underground tunnels. Sounds very spy-like, but what were they doing and what did they show off to you guys? Yeah, so we started off at the visitor center. It's kind of like just going to the airport. You go through a metal detector and show your ID. Um, And then we went into a conference room for some briefings. And then after that, that's where it got cooler. They took us from the conference room to an underground tunnel. And uh, we walked through it for a little bit, I would say maybe like five or 10 minutes. And we got to another facility on their campus and they showed us them building the X-59, which is a NASA program to build a supersonic aircraft um, that is much quieter than, say, the Concorde. And then the idea is potentially the U.S. could use it for consumer travel because the aircraft would be able to fly over land because you wouldn't hear the supersonic boom sound. Yeah, I think they said that they're trying to make the sonic boom sound like a car door closing. So, I mean, if they can change it that much, I mean, that's pretty impressive there. You mentioned, too, roughly 85% of the work done there at Skunk Works is classified. So very little that they can actually show you guys uh, in person. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. When we went into that um, 
small corner of the factory to see the X-59. When you turn around, it's all just empty space because they had moved out everything else that they were working on. And you could see this steel wall um, go up and down the sides. I asked one of the comms representatives there what what that was. And she said they jokingly uh, refer to it as the Great Wall. And they use it to divide up different areas of the factory yeah <laughs> i love that you also mentioned that the factory had this kind of new car smell just about you know it's so <laughs> new and everything you mentioned um them showing off kind of the future of what they can do there and things had been done in such an old way for so long uh you know a lot of digital engineering is going in this and being able to digitally transmit information because everything was done manually or on paper before Right. It's pretty crazy. Um, You would never think somebody building, you know, this high tech aircraft, um, they're actually they're used to using pen and paper. And so it's pretty revolutionary for them to be opening up this new factory where they can use digital files um, and equipment. Uh, The reason they're able to do that is the building is erected in a way that it's protected from radio frequency signals. So that means that potential, you know, adversaries or other country spies, they couldn't um, hack into the system there. And finally, what other things are they working on? You mentioned the supersonic jet, but they're also working on uh, these uh, hypersonic weapons development too, some other things. And I think uh, some other project called Speed Racer, which uh, is a little unclear what's going on there. Speed Racer is something that um, the Air Force announced in 2020, and we weren't really sure, we being, you know, the defense journalism community, we weren't really sure what it was because they just showed us a photo, and it looked like a cruise missile or UAV, an unmanned aircraft, coming out of another aircraft. And so what they revealed to us at Skunk Works was that it's part of a larger program that Skunk Works is working with the Pentagon on digital engineering. And this is one of the first projects that has been since inception that used digital engineering that Skunk Works has worked on. And so they were just showing us, you know, how that changed the way they thought about things and approached different um, aspects of their production work. Um, And then another technology that they're working on are hypersonic weapons, which are really important for the United States right now because uh, China and Russia are also developing their own hypersonic weapons, and the United States is actually behind in that arena. So the Pentagon is pouring tons of money to various defense contractors, including Lockheed Martin, to come up with the different um, hypersonic weapons, whether they fall up, whether they're shot from the air from a B-52 or whether they're shot from a surface ship or even a submarine. They're yeah. trying different things. It's a lot of cool stuff. And just to kind of put a pin in how secretive all this is, one of the presenters told you guys, for many of you, this is the last time you're going to be in this facility, or this may be the last time you're going to be in this facility. So even uh, just giving you the the heads up, you're never coming back here again. Lee Hudson, defense reporter at Politico. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. That's it for today. Join us on social media at 
Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive was produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive. <laughs>